we're in this series called How to Live Through a Bad Day. And when I was praying and planning my preaching calendar for this year, I knew that I wanted to preach this series based on a book by the same title, the same title, How to Live Through a Bad Day. It's actually out of print by a, a renowned uh, spirit-filled preacher, pastor, leader, Dr. Jack Hayford. He actually led for years the International Foursquare Gospel Church and uh, just a pastor to pastors. Uh, he's the chancellor, the president of the King's University in California and Dallas. Just an amazing man of God. And he wrote this book years and years, decades ago, called How to Live Through a Bad Day. And it was based on, and this series based on that book is, based on the seven final statements that Christ made on the cross. So as we're leading up to Easter, I just I really felt like this was the great sort of season as we think about Easter and what, you know, the Super Bowl of Christianity celebrating the resurrection of Christ and I really thought that you know this would be the right time for us to talk about specifically these seven statements and really how they apply to our lives and, and the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus is all we really have to talk about. Our only hope, everybody, is the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Like that's what we have. That's what we cling on to. And so they, on, uh, the, the premise of the book and the premise of this series is that even on the cross, even on the cross, even on his worst day, enduring all of the pain that he did, all of the shame, taking on the sins of the world, both past and present and future, everything that Jesus had endured, he was still so powerful that what he says teaches us life lessons. What kind of God is that? That, that even though he's enduring all this pain, even though he's paying for your sins and my sins, what he said, he's still, while he's hanging on the cross, he's still teaching us. He's having his worst day, listen close, and it really was, his darkest day. He's having his worst day, and he's living through this, the hardest situation of his life. And it was unique to him, like what happened to him was unique on that day, but it's not unique to all of us in that we have bad days. But it, it gives us kind of a glimpse into what do we do on our bad days. So when we look at his worst day, we look at our, our days, and we go, man, how, how do I... How do I live through the worst times of my life? And some of you are here today and you know that. You know what it's like to live through a bad day. How many of you have lived through a bad day recently? Let me see your hands. You just lived through a terrible day. How many of you are living through one right now? Let me see your hand. How many of you are sitting next to your bad day? Where you at? Go ahead. <laughs> don't raise your hands. You want to go home with somebody. Don't, don't do that. Some of you are like, he, right here. This is my bad day, right? Here. Yeah, him. Here's my bad day. He's my bad week. Come on. He's... Some of you have lived through that, and, and if you live long enough, let me, be, let me go ahead and start here on a positive note. If you're not living through a bad day now, just hang on, because you will. You'll live through a bad day. There, there will come a time, and I don't mean a bad day where you have a headache or a bad day where things are tough at work. I mean your worst day. I mean the day the phone call comes, and it's not what you thought that it was, and the baby's gone. The day that they call you and tell you about a loved one who tragically and instantly, quickly lost their lives. It's the day where you've put all of your hopes and dreams into a partner and you told God and all of your family and friends that you would forever and they didn't hold up their end of the bargain. And the manila envelope shows up in the mail and it's your worst day. How do you live? Through your bad day. And I think over the course of the next couple of weeks, I want to give you the tools. I want to give you some practical tools based on these seven statements of Christ that will help you live through your bad day. That He lived through His worst day so you could live through yours. And you're going to have to apply these. Here's the theme verse that we're going to use. This is the theme we'll have all throughout this series, and it's this. It's actually, I'm going to give it to you in two different translations. This one comes out of the New King James Version, because I'm super spiritual and I use King James Version. How about that? <laughs> this is, the New King James Version says it like this, looking unto Jesus. And really, that's what we're going to do. This is our example. The reason why, if I want to help you live through your worst day, i got to look to, to Jesus as my example. The author, and underline this in your Bible. It's not highlighted on the screen. But the finisher of our faith, listen to me, look into my eyes. If you're still breathing, God's not finished. If you're still here, it's not over. People come to my office sometimes and say, Pastor, you don't understand, our marriage is over. And I, I, and I tell them, is he still alive and you're still alive? It's not over. Because God is the author. He not only begins something in you, but he's able, the Bible says he's able to finish that good work he started in you. Amen, everybody? Yeah, he's the finisher of our faith. Who for, this is the line I want you to underline, the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now this sounds like a strange dichotomy, a dumb dichotomy. How do you have joy 
when you're enduring the cross and how horrific the cross was. Here's the reason why. Listen. Because the joy that, he, that was set before him, it wasn't the joy of what he was currently experiencing. Listen. The joy that was set before him is you. And it's me. We're the joy that God was thinking about with Jesus on the cross. It wasn't his situation that was on his mind. You were on his mind. Your marriage, your worst day, the phone call that changes everything, the, the, the time and time again that you've tried to make this work and it doesn't, your bad day, that's the joy. For the joy of you living through your worst day, he endures his worst day, despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's, here's a better, I like this paraphrase better. I wanted to read that to you just so you knew I was spiritual. But, but the message paraphrase, it's not a literal translation, but I love this paraphrase of the Bible in Hebrews 12. It says this, Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race we're in. And this is the line, the reason I chose the message, this is the line that I love. Study how he did it. And that's what we're going to do for the next five weeks. I want to study how he lived through his worst day. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. Some of us have walked through such dark times that you kind of lose your way. But Jesus never lost his way. That exhilarating finish in and with God, listen close, he could, here's the line, put up with anything. He could live through his worst day along the way. The cross, the shame, the whatever. And now he's there, the place of honor, at the right hand of the Father. How do you, how do you live through your worst day? Well, here's, how, here's what we're going to do for the next five weeks including Wednesday night. I'm going to preach it Wednesday night. We're going to study how he did it so that I can equip you so that hopefully by the end of this series, by the end of Easter, you'll be able to put up with your worst day that you'll have some, some tools to live through. Now, if you've been around Christianity or faith very long, you know the, the story of the crucifixion. Let me kind of catch you up. It's Thursday night is the last supper, what we call the last supper. Jesus has his disciples around him and they're all gathered together in the upper room. Judas is in this room and they are sharing the Passover meal together, sharing one final meal together, the Last Supper. When we share communion this Wednesday night, we are commemorating that, that, that Last Supper and how he passed out unleavened bread and wine. And then, and then after that Last Supper, he is betrayed by, his, by one of his disciples. You know, Judas betrays him. This is sort of the order of events after that Last Supper that happens. And then and then they arrest him, and really all night long they take him through a series of illegal trials. It's illegal in both traditions, Hebrew and Roman tradition. You couldn't try someone at night. It was illegal to do that, but they did it to him anyway. Matter of fact, three separate trials, two separate kings they went to to try Jesus all throughout the night, and he's tortured, and he's beat beyond recognition. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They nailed him to a cross that's actually laid flat, on the ground, they nail his hands to both sides, not with, not with wood screws, but with railroad spikes so that he could not move and would most often, Roman crucifixion made you die by asphyxiation. You literally just drowned in your own blood. And so they laid him on this cross and they hoisted this cross up. There's a pre-hole, a pre-dug hole in the ground and the, the, the cross sort of lifts up Jesus hanging on there after enduring this horrific Series of events already over the course of about 12 hours. And the cross thuds into that hole and literally, immediately, Jesus begins to speak. Jesus begins to speak. And the first thing he said is so super important. Matter of fact, it's the first statement we're going to look at when we look at these seven statements that Christ said. Here it is, Luke, the 23rd chapter. Write this in your Bible. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. It's important that he said it, but it's more important that it's the first thing he said. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. It's the first thing. Listen to me. If you and I are going to live through our worst days, the hardest times of our lives, the hardest seasons where we cry every night, where we fear the phone ringing just because I don't need any more bad news. If you're going to live through your bad day, you're going to have to study how Jesus lived through His. And the first thing that He did was forgive. Listen, if you're going to live through your bad day, you're going to have to learn how to release the hurt and the pain of every person who's done something to you. Here's the big idea. Write this down. I know it sounds crazy, but here's what I want to tell you. You're going to have to learn how to forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. You're going to have to learn how to forgive everyone who's trying 
to ruin your life. How many of you know people who feel like it's their spiritual gift to ruin your life? Where are you at right there? People who went through growth track, got through the end, took the spiritual gift assessment. At the very end, the growth track team goes, look at there. Your spiritual gift is ruining Mitch's life. That's what you do. That's what you do. <laughs> you ruin his life. There are people in your world that you think... That person, that ex, that family member, that husband, that wife, those kids, come on somebody, that relationship, that, that, that person is ruining my life. Literally ruining my life. If you're going to live through your bad day, you're going to have to learn how to forgive everyone. And I hope over the course of the next couple of moments I teach you how, in maybe a way that you've never heard before, about forgiveness and how to forgive somebody. People are difficult. Listen to me. People don't like you. Look in my eyes. The hardest lesson you'll ever have to learn is not everybody likes you. Not everybody likes you. We have two little babies. And I remember when my, the first time my little six-year-old little girl came home from, from school and said, they didn't play with me. Listen to me. Look at me. I may be little, but I'm crazy, y'all. You hear me? I, I got the crazy eye on me. One eye went this way. One eye went this way. I just I went wild. I said, where are they at? I, I, right now, I'll kick a kindergartner right in the throat. I'll just, right there, this, you go. And Brandy had to sit down and she had to tell me about, you know, being a pastor and how I couldn't do that because y'all talk about it. Anyway, and then, and then she said, and then she said you we're going to have to teach her. Not everybody likes you. Not everybody likes you. That, 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 things are going to be tough. Things are going to hurt and life's going to hurt. And, and, and you're going to have to realize that, that every day, matter of fact, Jesus included it in what we call the Lord's Prayer. I call it the everyday prayer. It's a prayer you could pray every day. He included it this way. God, forgive us of our trespasses as we... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like every day. Like every day. Like I got a running list right now. Look at me, everybody. I got a list of a couple of people on my list. I'm still praying every day. To forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. You're going to have to learn how to forgive those who've sinned against you. The, the, those that have hurt you. The, most, the, the deepest hurts and, and the ones that, that you, you just don't know how to get over. You're going to have to learn how to. Hopefully before the end of the message today. You'll see how Jesus said it this way. If you try to think, man, I don't know why this is happening to me. Jesus said in Matthew, he said, and then many will be offended. Matter of fact, the Greek word here, a better translation, is that actually means most. In other words, most of the time, there's offense, and, and, and we'll betray one another, and we'll hate one another. Some of you, this is your life verse. Amen. <laughs> like, this, like this is your whole life verse. I feel like everybody, I, I'm, uh, I hate everybody, and everybody hates me. I feel like everybody's trying to betray me. Everybody's against me. This, and, and the Bible said this is the way it's going to happen for you. Matter of fact, Jesus says it even differently in Luke 17. He said to his disciples, it's impossible that you live your life without pain and without offenses and without hurt. It's just, it's just a fact of this life. It's a fact of a fallen world. That pain will come and offenses are going to come. The unfortunate thing is, is that if you hold on to the unforgiveness attached to these offenses, it doesn't destroy the other person that you wish it did. It destroys you. I heard somebody say it this way. You try to punish them, but unforgiveness is the poison that you drink hoping that it kills the other person. You know what I'm saying? It's the thing that you think's going. I heard it better this way. I'm from the deep south, so have y'all heard of that that South Louisiana Cajun Boudreaux? You know him anyway. So Boudreaux, the Cajuns in South Louisiana would get around the general store. They would go every day and they would swap stories, just sitting around the general store. And one day Boudreaux, that Cajun, walks in and his chest is all bowed out, like under his coat. He's got this big lumps in. And the that one Cajun looked at him the way that they asked, Boudreaux, what what them lumps on your chest? You know what I mean? Like what? What is, under your, what is under your coat? What is that? He said, oh, th this is dynamite. He said, why? Why you got dynamite under your chest? Like, why? He said, you know that other Cajun that come in here? Thibodeau comes in here every day to the general store. He thumped me on my chest and he break my cigar what in my pocket. So today when he thumped me on my chest, I'm going to blow his hand off. <laughs> Ask your neighbor. Listen. Some of you are carrying around dynamite hoping that it blows their hand off and it'll blow your life up. Just carrying it around with you day after. What a picture of unforgiveness that every day you walk around thinking, if I ever get a chance to hurt them, I'm going to blow his hand off. You don't realize that what you're harboring doesn't harm him, it harms you. That what you carry with you isn't punishing them, it's punishing you. 
It's the poison that you drink hoping that they die. It's a great illustration of the stuff that I hold inside of me. You become a different person when you hold it in. Proverbs says it like this, an offended brother or somebody who's, who carries that pain and that unforgiveness is more, here's the word, unyielding than a fortified city. Unyielding means it, like you can't give it up. You don't even know who you are. You become somebody else. Some of you in, in recent days, because of the unforgiveness you have about a, a pain, a hurt, an offense, somebody that did something to you. Some of you have, have, have said recently, I don't even know where that came from. Like, I don't even know why I said that. That you're just unyielding. Like, you've become a different person. And disputes are like the barred, they're like the barred gates of a citadel. Some of you have decided, I, I tell you what I'm going to do. In light of this offense and hurt and pain of my past, I'm just going to bar up my heart. Listen, nobody's ever going to hurt me like that again. Nobody's ever going to come. He's not. I may have taken him back, but I didn't forgive him. No one's ever going to get into my heart again. And so you've barred up literally the walls of your heart. The Bible said they're like barred gates of a citadel. Like you cannot, you just, you tell everybody, I, ultimately, I, I, I don't want anybody to get close to me again because I'm trying to protect my heart. But in doing so, listen close, you've not only barred out the people that are closest to you, some of you have barred God out of your life. And even He can't touch in your heart and heal that part of your heart that's so hard and so hurt and so painful because you put up these bars and barriers of unforgiveness and you just can't get past your past. Here you are living through your worst day, carrying unforgiveness. I'm fascinated by British history and British royalty. Anybody else fascinated by that? When Brandy and I, when when we put the kids to bed, we we go watch Netflix and we watch all those British shows. I blame the Crown for this, or like, or Downton Abbey. You know, anybody Downton Abbey fans? Where you at? Come on, men! All my men, Downton Abbey fans. You're liars. You know you loved it. I cried when Matthew died. Anyway, whatever. So I love British history, and when you're, when you're almost 40 like Brandy and I are, when the kids go to bed, when we say Netflix and chill, we literally mean Netflix and chill. That's what I'm talking about. When you're 20, Netflix and chill means something totally different. Don't ask them what it means. And so we'll go watch these British shows, and I was watching, I read something about British history. I love this. I love this story about the English Civil War. It happened in the 17th century, around 1648, 1649, things began to to change, and Oliver Cromwell is leading this opposition party. Oliver Cromwell leads this party that's trying to overthrow the monarchy. This is a true story, trying to overthrow the monarchy at the time. And he's trying to overthrow the king. King Charles I was the king who was in power, and his party were the royalist party. They were ruling England, and Oliver Cromwell decided, his party decided, that they were being mistreated by the king, and so they decided to overthrow him and his party at the time. And, and, and not only did they overthrow them, which they ended up doing, but they decided to try King Charles I uh, for what they feel like were, he, he was mistreating them. And so they wanted to pay him back and try him for that. And as they were sort of, you know, getting the, the, everything together to overthrow him and to try King Charles in the courts, 50, they, they drafted this document and 59 people, 59 actual people signed a document that called for the execution of King Charles I. When we overthrow him, if we ever overthrow him, then 59 people said, we want him killed. We, want him, we don't just want him tried, we want him killed. And, and honestly, that's exactly what happened. True, true story. That's exactly what happened. They overthrew the, the royalists. They overthrew King George. And Oliver Cromwell and his party got into, got into power, and they executed King, George, I'm sorry, King Charles I. And so they, this, this rule lasts. So Oliver Cromwell's party is in power for about 11 years. It doesn't last very long because instability is still there. It doesn't last very long. And the Royalist Party, who they had overthrown 11 years earlier, is everybody following along? That party now is back in power. They overthrow them, the people who threw them out, and there's a new king, and it's the son of King Charles I, King Charles II. They were really creative with how they named their kids. King Charles, a true story, King Charles II is now the king of, of England. He overthrows Oliver Cromwell and his party. And the first thing that he does when he gets into power, the first thing he said, he tells his army, this is, this is a true story. He said, you go find those 59 people on the document that, that called for the execution of my father, and you bring them here, and we're going to try them in court. I want them tried for what they did to my father. I, I want them, not only tried, I want them executed. 
And so they went to go do that. They went to go find these 59 people who had signed this document that, you know, not only to overthrow the king, but to have him executed. And what they found is of the 59 people who had signed it, 15 of them had already died. 15 had already died in the course of this 11 years through war and maybe just old age had already died. And they went back to King Charles II and said, hey, listen, we found most of them, but 15 of the 59 have already died. And this is true. King Charles II said, you go dig their bodies up. You exhume their bodies And I want you to bring them to this courtroom. And the true story is they propped up 15 corpses, like 15 corpses in a courtroom, and they tried them for treason to overthrow King Charles. And then then they were sentenced to execution. True story. They took 15 already dead corpses out to the gallows, and they hung them in the public square in front of everybody. They didn't have much to say. You know, it's hard to be in defense when you're already dead. You know what I'm saying? Like they were, they were, like you can't really plead not guilty. You're just, I mean, you're just standing there. Talk about digging up the past, everybody. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, like they really did dig up the past. The truth of the matter is, this is the picture. Now, listen, this is a true story. This is the picture of some of your lives. Constantly digging up things that are already gone in your life, just so you can get revenge for what happened to you. I, I want to I hang them again. I, it wasn't good enough they died the first time. I want Listen to me. If you're ever going to live through your bad day, listen to me very clearly. You're going to have to learn this first principle. You're going to have to learn to forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. You're going to have to learn how to really forgive it. If you don't, the Bible calls it a bitter root. It's going to get down in your heart. It's going to get down in your life. It's going to, get, it's going to wake its way down into every area of your life. And people are going to look at you and say, I don't even recognize you anymore. You're doing crazy things like digging up dead people just so you can get past your past. You're going to have to learn how to forgive if you're going to live through your worst day. You're saying you don't know what my worst day is all about. You don't understand. I mean, I, I listen, there's no graphic description of the cross. I could, I could preach to you today that there's still some of you in this room that in your mind you're going, yeah, but you don't know. Yeah, but you don't know what, I, you don't know what he did. You don't know how bad it was. Yeah, you, 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 you don't know what they said. You don't, you, you don't know what it's like to be a child and left by your parents, raised by strangers. You don't know what it's like to, to you know, publicly be humiliated. You don't know what that's like. Listen, the Bible would tell you Jesus does. He does. That, that's, it's why we're looking at it. It's, it. I'm looking at it so that we can... Matter of fact, I found about five things over the course of those 12 hours that I believe Jesus lived through. Listen, on His worst day, that mimics kind of what you live through on your worst day. And some of you, every, every offense in your life, every hurt, that thing in your mind right now that you're thinking about, your worst day, your bad day, it probably falls into one of these five. Take good notes. Write this down. Here's the first one. It's betrayal. First things that happens to Jesus is betrayal. And it's not betrayal by a stranger. It's betrayal by somebody who's close to him. I contend, listen close. I, I, it's my opinion. It really doesn't hurt unless it's somebody that you really love. It wouldn't hurt if a stranger betrayed. It's not real betrayal. It's not even betrayal until it's somebody who's close to you. Jesus has personally recruited Judas. Jesus has personally invested in him. He loves him. This is so remarkable. That, 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 that night in the garden, the Roman soldiers come, and the, and, and the chief priests and the scribes, they come, and they're going to take Jesus, and for 30 pieces of silver, Judas has now, he has the money with him. The Bible says he carries it around with him. He carries his 30 pieces of silver, and the sign that he gives, I find this so interesting to the soldiers that Jesus is the one, that that's the one there to arrest is a kiss. It's not a slap in the face. Because when you're betrayed, it's by the people who think, who you think, love you and care for you. And betrayal comes, and right after betrayal, now, now there's this trial, this false accusation. It's the second thing I think you'll live through. Everything in your life probably falls into your worst days, probably fall into one of these five things. False accusation, and i got to be frank with you, this is the one that hurts me the most, personally. I can deal with you talking about me and what I've said and what I've done. I can handle that. I can't handle it when you accuse me of something I didn't do. It drives me crazy. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? It drives me crazy when people tell that they falsely accuse you. Some of you are living through your worst days because somebody said something else about you. We live in such a media-saturated culture. It's crazy, honestly, because the media grabs a hold of a story, especially a negative one, and they'll run that on the front page 
And then when they find out it wasn't true, they'll, they'll issue a retraction on the back page. You know what I'm talking about? And in some of your lives, that's what's happened. Everybody heard the false accusation and nobody heard the truth. And now here you carry this offense. Jesus goes through this false accusation literally all night long. Three trials, two different kings. He's in front of her. People actually paid truth to attend his trial and falsely accuse him. That's a true story. People actually paid money like a sporting event to lie about him. Not only is it betrayal and false accusations, but living through what what could be your worst day. Next is rejection, and this is where so many people live. Honestly, I believe this is the deepest wound of our generation. I really believe this. I believe I preach to more people that deal with this wound than anything else. And it's because of, and I know you think this is a candy stick, that I, and it really is, so just get over it because I'm going to preach about it again. It's because of the availability of the Internet and social media. It's because it used to be you didn't hear what other people talked about you. Now they'll do it on social media in a passive-aggressive way. I sat next to some fat dude in church today. That joker stunk. You know who sat next to you in church. And it's passive-aggressive and it's bullying and it hurts. Every, almost every week you'll see a national news story of a teenager, a 10-year-old, a 15-year-old who commits suicide based on what somebody said about them on social media. It's that rejection that the, the, the people that you thought would have your back don't have your back. Listen to me. Not one disciple showed up at his trial. Not one. The people that are closest to him, the people that were supposed to have my back, didn't have my back. And some of you have carried 20 years, 30 years. Why is it you said you'd have my back and now you didn't and you feel rejection and you're carrying that around, that deep wound. Of he said no, and they, they they walked away from me, and then and and then you go from rejection. Some of you again, these five things. I think every offense in your life probably falls into this. Jesus now deals with abuse, not just physical, but absolutely horrific emotional abuse. Like just not not only the cross, not only the crown of thorns, not only the spear in his side, not only the just the brutality. The Bible actually says that he was so. Isaiah said that he was so disfigured his face and his body that his own mother didn't recognize him as her son. Literally, he doesn't look like a human being. He is so brutally abused. And that's not the worst. If you've ever lived through abuse, you know the worst is the stuff they say. And the emotional scars. And now Jesus has a blindfold on. And they would spit on him, spit in his face. And they would say, if you're the son of God, prophesy who spit on you. Some of you have lived your whole life carrying around the scars of abuse, harboring unforgiveness for what he did, the person you trusted, a relative that went too far, that did what it's unthinkable to do. A spouse whose words hurt worse than anyone else. And you're carrying around this unforgiveness. And then ultimately, I really, I think this is where it, it ends up. This is where it ends up for Jesus. And this is, I think this is where a lot of people end up in their lives, in their emotional lives. It ends up in humiliation. It's the, it's the, it's the final thing. I thank God that Hollywood doesn't, doesn't show this like it probably actually uh, happened. But in, in most Roman crucifixions, almost all Roman crucifixions, you were crucified naked. So you would die by asphyxiation, but you would do so humiliated. So not only are you in physical pain, and not only is the emotional pain, but now you're naked in front of everyone looking at you and laughing at you and jarring. And Listen, there's, there's, there's people here who this has been the story. It's humiliation, not just what I went through. Not, 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 just, not just as bad as it was, the betrayal, the accusation, not just all of that, but I feel like everybody's laughing at me. And they all know. And I'm the butt of the joke. And so why would he do How do you live through this? How, Jesus, the Bible says, went through all of this. Listen close. Not just to pay for your sins. Here's the most unique thing about this message. Here's the thing I think, I, I hopefully, I want to I illustrate to you about forgiveness that you've never heard. He did not do that just to pay for your sins. He did it to pay for your sins. But not only. Hebrews 2 says it like this. That's why he had to 
This is, this is why the cross had to happen. To enter into every detail of human life. He had to know what betrayal and false accusations and abuse and rejection and humiliation were like. He, had to know, he entered into every detail of human life. Then when he came before God as our high priest to get rid of the people's sins, he would have already experienced it, underline this, all himself. All the pain, all the testing, I would, I, would, I would tell you all the abuse, all the rejection, all the humiliation. He's experienced it all himself so that he would be able to help when I needed it the most, everybody. Listen to me. Jesus endured the cross not just to pay for your sins because God demanded blood for the remission of sins. He had to pay for your sins that you and I could be reconciled to God the Father. But more than that, He said, I want to enter into every detail of human life so that when they come to me with their deepest wounds, I can look at them and go, I know that feeling. I know what that's like. I've been where they are. I know that feeling right there. I understand that. And God, like no one else, listen to me, not like your counselor, not like your spouse, not like your children, not even like me or anybody else in this room. Jesus and Him alone. When you tell Him your worst day, He is able to help us. Shout amen to that, everybody. That's the good news of the cross. Is that he's lived his worst day so you could live yours. Is that what he went through, he experienced it all himself so that, so that he could give you what you needed when you were needed. Listen, he understands what you're going through. You listen to me, look into my eyes. There will never be one thing that you pray to God. Not one thing you ever give God. Not one hurt, not one injustice, not one pain, not one scar. Not one thing that he will not be able to understand. Not one time. You will never be able to pray about something that hurt you, that scarred you, that, 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 that destroyed an, an abuse, a humiliation, a, a rejection, a fear. Not one thing that you're harboring that you'll give to God that God would not be able to understand. Because He experienced it all Himself. I love that about... I love that about Jesus. I love that about the cross. I love that about this story. That's why the next five weeks I got to tell you, this is how you live through your worst day as you go, okay, God, I got to give you all of this stuff in my worst day because you live through yours. You got to learn this forgiveness. Now listen to me. Everything inside of you is right now while I'm preaching this to you. And I, at first service, I, always, I, I lean over to Brandy between the services and just always ask, how bad was that? You know, how, how bad was that in... In first service, and she said that, you know, she's always super kind, and I pay her to be nice to me anyway. And she says nice things, and she goes, but that's hard. I said, yeah, it's hard. Like, it's a hard message, and I know it is, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm preaching hard. But listen, i got to get you through your worst day, and the first thing you have to learn is how to forgive people who are trying to ruin your life. Everybody in your life, you cannot live through your worst day carrying unforgiveness in you. But it's gonna, you're going to rebel against it. Everything in your life is screaming, but you don't know. But it, you, this is so hard. You don't understand. It, nothing inside of you is going to want to do this. Listen to me. It does not take an act of your emotion. Some of you have been waiting to forgive that person until you felt like you were over it. Look in my eyes. You're never going to feel like you're over it. It's never going to feel like the right time. Well, if I ever get the right time, look in my eyes. It's never going to be the right time. Because forgiveness is not an act of the emotions. It's an act of the mind. It's an act of your will. It's a choice. It's you deciding, hanging on a cross. He didn't feel like saying it. Everything inside, I'm sure Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. I'm sure His flesh is saying, what are you saying right now? Why would you say that? Don't you know the pain and the humiliation and the abuse and the problem? And yet He says, Father, forgive. The first thing He says is forgive everyone who's trying to ruin my life. First Peter says it this way, that since Christ suffered while He was in His body, listen close, Strengthen yourselves, not in your feelings or in your... No, you're going to have to do it with the same way of thinking that Christ had. In other words, you're going to have to... There's something in your mind that's going to have to click today that I'm going to change the way I think about this offense. 
I'm going to change the way I think about this phone call, this bad day. I'm going to change the way I think about the worst day of my life. I want to know how Christ did it. I want to know how He did it. Now listen, I think, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of misinformation about forgiveness. I think we think about forgiveness the wrong way. And if we're going to have what Christ had, we're going to have to think like Christ thought. And so let me give you some things that forgiveness is not. Listen to me. Make sure you write it well in your notes. Forgiveness is not, forgiveness is not minimizing the severity and the seriousness of the offense. Some of you have lived five years saying, oh, I, 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 it's just no big deal. No, it was a big deal. Well, I, I, I should just get over No, you can't just get over it. It's, it, it really happened. Oh, it wasn't that. No, 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 it was that. It, it offended that. Like it, you don't have to minimize it to forgive them. Some of you feel like because if, if I'm going to forgive them, I have to act like it didn't happen or act like it just was small. No, 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 you don't have to do any of that. You don't have to act like it didn't happen or act like it was small. It doesn't minimize the, the, the offense. Let me tell you the second thing. Forgiveness is not. Listen, forgiveness is not reconciliation. Reconciliation is something I, I'd preach it to you. I will. I will. We'll talk about the doctrine of reconciliation. and, and that it's, it's a beautiful picture. But listen, reconciliation is a two-player game. And some of you are waiting to offer someone forgiveness until they participate in the reconciliation. And you'll die with unforgiveness in your heart. Because you're waiting on reconciliation. Should you strive for it? Yeah, I'll I'll preach about that at some other time. But listen to me. I'm not talking about being reconciled. Reconciled means they participate. No one has to participate in forgiveness but you. Forgiveness is not about doing what's fair. It's not about doing what's fair. Well, I wish it it wasn't fair what happened to me. Listen to me. I don't want what's fair. I'm going to be honest with you. I I hear people all the time say, well, it's just not fair what happened. I don't want fairness. I don't want to play the fair game with God. Let me tell you why. Because if God was fair, I would have to pay for my own sins. It's not fair that Jesus pays for my sins. They're my sins. I should have to pay for them. I don't want fair. I don't want fair. Forgiveness is not doing what's fair. C.S. Lewis says it this way. To be Christians mean that you forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. Like it's not fair. It doesn't make sense. But listen to me. Here's the last thing forgiveness is not. Write this down. And we're hurrying to a close. Forgiveness is not impossible to do. It's not impossible. And there are people here in church today that feel like, man, it just feels impossible. I don't know if I could ever get past that. Oh, you can. You can. You can. The, the, the devil's convinced some of you that it's impossible, that forgiveness is just, it just it's never, it's never going to happen. Listen to me. Philippians says it this way. I can. You need to underline this in your Bible. I can. You can. Look at me. Doesn't require their participation. You can. I can do everything. I can forgive them through Him, through Christ who gives me strength. And so what do I do? I would be a terrible pastor if I I only told you that you needed to do something and didn't give you the how. So my job for the next 10 minutes or so of your time is to give you the how. I'm going to help you tap into the strength that you need. Because listen, you can if you figure out the right strength. You can forgive that person that hurt you so bad. You can forgive that spouse that walked out on you. You can forgive those parents who hurt you and abuse you. You can forgive the humiliation and the rejection. You can live through your worst day if you figure out where the strength comes from. So let me give you three things that I think give you the strength to do it. The closer I get to God, listen close, the closer I get to God, the more I have the ability to do what God's called me to do. And here's the three things. Write these down and then we'll pray. Number one, you got to pray for them. Now listen. I don't mean now I lay me down to sleep. Please kill Bill. <laughs> I, I read this. I read this prayer one time in Psalms. I was, this is a true story. I was asking God, God, show me something in your word. And I opened up the book of Psalms, and David is backslidden at this point, and he prays about his enemies. He said, God, break the teeth of the wicked. I was like, that's my prayer. That's what I want. God, break their teeth. That's what, hit them right in the mouth, right in the grill. God, do, that, do the teeth thing on them. Teeth juju on you. That's not what I'm talking about. You've heard it was said, Jesus says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who are trying to ruin your life. Pray for them. God, forgive them. God, bless their lives. 
God do a work in their hearts. God bless their jobs. God bless their marriages. God do something. God get a hold of their heart. God work inside of them. Listen to me. It's impossible to hate someone that you pray for. Let me say that again. It's impossible to hate someone that you pray for. I do this in counseling sometimes, in marriage counseling. I'll have a couple in front of me, and they'll be just, he's so-and-so, and so just we're getting, we're, it's just getting wild and woolly, and I'll just stop, 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 hey, 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 everybody. Would you do me a favor, and I'll take, I'll take just gently in my just pastoral, brilliant way, just soft and soothing. <laughs> I'll, I'll take him by the hand. I'll say, will you do me a favor? Will you, will you take her by the hand, your wife there, and will you pray for her? Her? Uh, yeah, her, like, like her name. Like, I want you to say her name, and I want you to pray for her. And then he'll bow his head. He'll take a deep breath. Everybody always takes a deep breath. <laughs> take a deep breath. God, I'm an idiot. Sue's better than this. And, and then I'll take her by the hand. I'll say, man, will you do me a favor? Will you pray for him? And Now, listen, I'm not telling you there aren't stuff we still got to work through. But listen to me. It's impossible to hate someone you pray for. I'm talking about by name. I mean every day. Now, listen. There's some people on my prayer list, and I'm not praying for them because I love them. I'm praying for them because they persecuted me. If you'll learn how to pray, really, now listen, you're going to reject, I know, I know, I know in your heart right now you're thinking, that doesn't, I can't do that. You can, you can it, everything in you is going to say no. And you'll only know if it works if you try it. These are not principles you can go home and look over your notes and go, well, that sounds good. This was a good message. Boy, he did a good job today. No, this is stuff you're going to have to go home and actually do to see if it works. Here's the second thing i got to hurry. is you got to bless them. To bless someone literally means to speak well of them. It literally means to, to say good things about them. To not curse them. To speak well of them. Luke 6 says it like this, but I tell you, Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. That what comes out of my mouth about them, let me tell you something, some of you, your, your, your relationship with your ex will get infinitely better if you'll just stop what comes out of your mouth. Just, I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to curse them. I'm not going to talk about how terrible they were. I'm not going to talk about the offense. I'm not going to talk about the hurt. I'm not going to talk about the pain. I know what you're thinking. You don't know what I went through. And listen to me. I don't. I just know what he went through. And I know if he lived through his worst day, you can live through yours. But you're going to have to bless them and not curse them. Romans says it like this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Not just not curse, but bless them. I hope they're doing good. Prayed for them today. I hope everything's okay in their life. He was a good man. He was confused, but he was good to my mom. They were a good business partner. Here's the last thing. Maybe the hardest, but you're going to have to do good to them. Now this is further than praying for them. That's personal and private. It's further than blessing them. That's just what you do with your mouth and what you say. But I want you to do good to them. I want you to look for ways to do good for them. Romans 12 says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everybody. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Listen, there are some of you who you have... God can't deal with them because you haven't left Him any room. You've dealt with them so much that God can't. Leave room for God's wrath. God will take care of them. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy, if your enemy, the one who hurts you the deepest, who cuts you the deepest, if they're hungry, you don't just pray for them. You don't just bless them with your words. You feed them. 
you physically feed them. If they're thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, this is, I love this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Some of you are like, that's what I want him to do. I want, to, I want that joker to burn up. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to burn him up. That's not what it means. <laughs> when this was written, in your, in your home, everybody had a fire that would heat their home and cook all their meals. And literally, you, couldn't, you didn't have electricity. You couldn't sustain life in your home if you didn't have a fire that was continuously burning. And if your fire began to go out, then your neighbor would bring you his burning coals from his fire and he would say, let me help. Listen to me. Some of you need to go by that house today and help. Because you've lived the last 20 years overcome by evil. And the Bible says, don't do that. Overcome evil with good. I heard this illustrated the best few weeks ago praying and preparing for this message I actually watched it and I read about Dr. Joyce Meyer anybody know Dr. Joyce Meyer Joyce Meyer Ricardo I see you have you ever sang for Joyce you ever led with Joyce she's fantastic international evangelist pastor preacher extraordinaire just an absolutely remarkable woman of God if you don't believe in women preachers watch Joyce Meyer you will <laughs> she's just powerful and, and she was in Australia at Hillsong Conference and she was She started the message this way. This is true. She started the message this way. I'm going to tell you something I've never told before. And of course, everybody in the conference, there's tens of thousands of people, everybody leans into this. You know, here's Dr. Joyce Meyer going to tell us something we've never heard before. And she tells them a story about her father. That as she was a little girl, her dad raped her. And she gave the exact number. I don't remember the exact number. But it was over 200 times. And she knew the number. She said she remembered what she was wearing. She she knew the exact number, 227, whatever the number was. Because she remembered every single time it happened. The crowd reacted just like you are. And and then then she goes on and, 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 you know, she, she becomes Dr. Joyce Meyer. I mean, she, you know, she... She grows up and she, you know, God anoints her life and uses her in, a, in an amazing way. And, and her, her father never admits, never apologizes, never comes to her, never, never does anything with it. She's confronted with this principle of doing good to them who persecute you. That you will, you cannot die with unforgiveness in your heart. You can't live through your worst day holding on to this unforgiveness. And so Dr. Joyce Meyer, she... This is what she tells the story. She says she went to her parents. He never apologized. He didn't admit it. She just went to them. And she began to bless them, not only with her words, monetarily. She literally started paying their bills the later in their age they got. She literally would pay her father and her mother's bill, her, their, their, their light bill, their house. Further than that, God speaks to her. This is what she said. So help me. That God speaks to her and says, I want you to build your daddy a home but I want you to build it right next to yours. And so she builds her parents a home, literally next door to her. The man who who took arguably her childhood and maybe just the most fragile, intimate part of a human being, this animal, she builds him a home. Not long after that, True story. She comes to Dr. Joyce Meyer. Here she is one day. Just before he died, he went to her tears falling out of his eyes and repented and said, I I don't know what to say. I don't know. I literally don't know what to say about this. And I'm sorry and what I did and how bad it was. And listen. He gives his heart to Jesus. And his daughter, Joyce Meyer, baptizes her daddy. And the Bible says when he raises out of that water, he's a brand new person. And just a few weeks later, he dies. True story. And he goes to heaven and not hell. Why? Could it be because she would not allow that unforgiveness to take her life away? 
I will not allow you to control me anymore. I'm going to pray for you. The person that hurt me the most, that took the most from me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do good. I'm going to bless you in ways you never thought possible. Could it be that's why? Today, the story is different than what it could have been. Him dying in his sin. And she said this sentence, and I thought this is the most amazing thing I heard her say this. Literally, she said this at the end of the story. She, she said, and now I'm not sorry that it happened anymore. I'm not sorry that it happened to me anymore. Because it gave me the chance, listen to me, it gave me the chance to experience what Jesus experienced. How thankful I am for His forgiveness. And so I'm not sorry that it happened anymore. Because now I know how God felt about me and the forgiveness that He offers me. Matthew says it this way, Freely you have received, so freely give. Here's the last thing and we'll close our notes. Listen to me. If you're going to live through your bad day, if you're going to live through the worst season of your life, if you're going to be able to conquer it once and for all, you're going to have to forgive everyone trying to ruin your life. Not because it's easy, not because it makes sense, but because the forgiven forgive. When I think about all that He's forgiven me of, look in my eyes. You will never have to forgive anyone of anything more than God had to forgive you for. Let me tell you that again. You will never have to forgive anyone as much as God had to forgive you. And the forgiven 